Pastor M. Dias brings a gospel message from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 32 through 52, in the continuation of the Mark series.
reflect on the Lord.
Uh, so you guys know the ending is actually not in Matthew's Gospel or Luke's Gospel. Um, the ending comes from, it, later in church history, they added the ending. It comes from Second Chronicles. Uh, they, they, they added a little redundant there. But anyway, so not a typo. Um, and, but yes, the, the ending of the Lord's Prayer is it's okay, so, uh, for sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the renewal uh, this morning uh, comes from Mark, actually, Mark 7, preached this months, months ago. Uh, but it's such a, such a revealing passage of really, when we say the root of the problem, what's the root of the problem, what's the root of our sin, it, I mean, this passage is Jesus's comes right out and says, this is what he says, Matthew 7, 20-23, and he said, what comes out of a person is what the Bible says. From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, Foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile the person. I think when we think about sin, we always want to look um, on the out, uh, the outside. And, and, and of course, of course, sin is a blaringly out, it's an action. Sin is actions that we produce, it is for sure. But sin, um, you know, what Jesus gets here, and if we had time to really dive into this, is it's, it's out of the heart. There's always something in the heart, a disbelief in who Jesus is that causes us then to act. And so, um, as we come to the Lord this morning in a time of silent prayer and confession, yes, look to, like, what is it? It could be one of these specific sins. And, um, but ask, Lord, Lord Jesus, what, what's in my heart that's causing me to grab for these? Instead of grab for you. Um, and so let's come to the let's come to the Lord now and turn to Father, I uh, just thinking of that lyric we just all sung. It's prone to prone to wonder, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. They come, take our heart, take and seal it. And Lord, I. Let's just 
be a church that just looks good on the outside, but or the inside. Like it's you look to the heart. You look to the heart. No one in here fools you. You see the heart of man. And Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to be clean before you this morning by the blood of Jesus. We need Jesus. And I pray that more and more you continue to see what our hearts are really delighting in. And that it would, whether it's control, whether it's approval, whether it's whatever it is, Lord, just help us to our hearts to be anchored in the redeeming work of you, Jesus. Lord, we do pray, as we, as we sung too, Father, let your kingdom come. We're thankful that your kingdom has already come. It's already, but not fully yet. And we know the full, like the full yet is coming. And as we wait for your return, may we be a people that that enacts that, that that's what you that's why you birthed the church is to be your hands and feet and and so Lord continue to lead us and guide us as um, as we move here and as we see people and interact with people and Lord Jesus I pray that God you would really continue to break our hearts for uh, the people in our own congregation. Help us to truly care and love and look and, and, and not just shake each other's hands, you know, uh, 10 minutes on Sunday morning and then just go, like, help us to, to, to invade each other's lives to, because we're rested in who you are. Help us, help us there, but also at the same time, give us eyes to see. Eyes to see continually um, people in me in our own communities and workplaces and just ask that, Father, you you truly, truly reveal the next steps and series of, of what you're wanting to do. And Lord, we pray for the other churches this morning that I meeting that, that, Father, you would bless them. That, Father, your Holy Spirit fill them today, that you would anoint the preaching of your word, that it would be um, glorifying to you, and that and convicting to other hearts and drawn to you, Jesus. And so, Lord, thank you that, um, Again, uh, that Father, we're in your presence. Um, and I I pray again that we be attentive, be here. Um, just thank you. Thank you. Assurance of party comes from Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 13. Um, by the way, I if you if you're new to reading the Bible and you just really don't know, I think a great place to start is reading a proverb today. I mean, a proverb a day, a uh, proverb for you, that I mean, these proverbs are profound, so much wisdom. Well, proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. You know, bottle it up, you come in here, you want to bottle it up, you want to conceal the transgression, you're not prospering. He who confesses and forsakes sin will attain mercy. Comes to your confession. And if you just confessed, you didn't conceal it, you confessed it. You will obtain mercy. Let's stand this in the
today's scripture reading comes from Mark 14, uh, 32 through 52. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. <coughs> Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, why are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out? as against the robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is the word of the Lord. Just 
just come and help us see. Again, help us help us not treat you as an abstract deity this morning. That, that Father, you would meet us in the real places of our hearts this morning. So just Holy Spirit, come. Come this morning and meet us. Meet us here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why well, I'm titled in this message, His Agony for You. His Agony for You. Um, has anybody read The Hobbit? One person. Oh, yeah. See, I have So uh, here's a quote from The Hobbit. It uh, says this. It was at this point that Bilbo stopped. Now you're like, I lost a lot of you guys. But it was at this point Bilbo stopped. Going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. The tremendous things that had happened afterward were nothing compared to it. He fought the real battle in the tunnel alone. Before he ever saw the vast danger that lay in wait, he fought the real battle in the tunnel alone. See, uh, in The Hobbit, that none of you read, uh, uh, <laughs> Bilbo Baggins is a, a little hobbit. Um, and he must enter a um, he must enter a cave and confront a dragon. And I'm just realizing how quickly I might be losing some of you. Uh, confront a dragon in his name, and the dragon is small. Uh, and but and he he to confront this dragon to to get the ring of power. And so this is this is often though the the case for heroes. They must confront their own fear before confronting the enemy itself. And the real fear that came upon uh, Bilbo was in the tunnel alone. wasn't the dragon. He was confronting, could he do it? He was alone and he had fear, could I even, could I even face it? Again, going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. That came to mind too because in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden, you can call this the Garden of Tears, Jesus had, he's in this precise moment. He's in the Garden all alone. And I believe, I do believe, as I've studied this, read some other commentaries on this, this was the hardest moment of Jesus' earthly life. You might go, oh, Rim, whoa, whoa. Behind you. What about the cross? Of course. Like, uh, what, you're telling me that wasn't the hardest moment for Jesus? And I would say, no way do we want to dilute the cross. We don't want to dilute the cross, but you have to understand what Jesus was doing. I mean, in a way, when he was on the cross, he sort of made peace with God. He was there already. Here he's wrestling. Here he's being pressed. Here is he being rejected most. Here is where he's pleading with the Father. You cannot get around it. Take this cup away. Yet not my will. He is in great agony. The question I have for us this morning is, 
Have you ever felt so alone? Like, so abandoned? Have you ever deeply suffered? Have you ever felt like you were in so much sorrow that it felt like death? See, the point of the text this morning, and every time I say this, by the way, this isn't like, I got the point, I'm going to go for the next 20 minutes. No, don't do that. But the point of the text this morning is because Jesus took our abandonment, shame, and betrayal, we can trust Him. We can trust Him that we never walk through suffering. We never walk through suffering. And again, my goal I have this morning is for us, like, I think this could be a temptation for us a lot of mornings, is to look at Jesus as in a, um, a science lab. <laughs> it's, you know, pick apart. It's really, like, look at Jesus as in a science lab. Let's try to, in everything, throw that way of thinking about how we look at Jesus. Not in a science lab, but maybe a deep living room. Not a postcard, but you're actually there. That Jesus meets you in the real agony and suffering and pain of our own lives. But the big question again is, why is Jesus in so much agony? We're going to get to why is Jesus in so much agony? And I only have two points this morning. Two points instead of three. And in the first way, the answer I want to why is Jesus so much agony? Number one, the true we need to understand the true reason. The true reason behind his agony, and then I'll go. The true reason behind his agony, and as we look at that, we do think we this So to begin with, we have to see Jesus again is in, in deep agony. So again, I, I, not to pick on all kinds of paintings, I picked on a painting last week, but uh, I had a painting in my office of uh, Jesus, and he had nicely folded hands, he's on a rock, and there's being a light coming on, he's got a perm. Uh, she's got her, and, 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 you know, he's praying in the garden, and everything looks whistling. That is not it. What's happening? It's not at all. What's happening? Look at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means all the press. Okay? Um, we don't have time to go into the symbolism here. There's so much, but in the midst of the orchard, there was this device that was used, heavy stone that was used to crushed olives and squeezed all of the, the, the precious oil out of, uh, of the olives. So there's no doubt here there is some symbolism going on that Jesus is going to be pressed. Be squeezed. He tells his disciples, notice, he says, sit here. I've got to pray. So sit here. We're going to pray. And we're going to come to that phrase of the idea that Jesus is actually praying all the more. But look at verse 33. He takes Peter, James, and John. Okay? You have to again realize that Jesus had inner three. He had the twelve, but then he had inner three. You've got to have, side point, not much, but you've got to have an inner three. You've got to have people who know you, know you, and the people who know you, know you, know you. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the transfiguration, up on this mountain, special moment, Okay? And then, um, now he's in the most intimate moment. And then you've got to look. Again, look, look at the text. He became greatly distressed. 
The Greek again here is amazing. It's, it, it reads with the element of astonishment. He's literally astonished. Or uh, one scholar said it's like a terrifying surprise. He is in a terrified surprise here. Verse 34, he says, My soul is even very sorrowful, even to death. Fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And see, right here, some think they stop and they think for a moment, what is going on? Jesus, if you've been following, you've been here consistent, checking the foxes, you've been following where Jesus is at, you know, I mean, Jesus has seemed so confident in the gospel of Mark. Boom, and boom, I mean, he's, he's claiming all these things, and now it's like, what's going on? Like, is he, is he bailing? What? I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I saw my dad cry. I don't know, like, I mean, I had a good dad, he was a strong dad, like, but I saw him cry. First time I saw him cry, I was like, what is going on? Like, I was just terrified. Like, something, something is coming unglued, unhindered. Like, dad, like, what is going on? Dad doesn't cry. Like, what's happening? I can imagine. I can imagine the disciples sitting there thinking, he's been so confident, he's been so real. Now, he, what is happening? And I mean, and you look through you look through history, church history, and you will find martyrs of the faith. Martyrs of the faith who have literally gone into the flames, okay, singing. No big deal. I mean, just praising the Lord to the end. I mean, even in the pagan world, stories of dignified deaths. I mean, Socrates gladly drank the, the poison. Dignified death to, to inspire and fortify. And yet, you have Jesus bleeding. It seems to not make sense. Because again, Jesus is predicted, his, he's even predicted his death. He's even predicted this moment. He's predicted it three times. And not just his death, that would rise. So the question again is, why such the agony? Is this really, is it really, is it the heart of it? Is he really suffering over the physical side of what's coming? And the key is verse 36. Look at verse 36. Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what he will. Question is, what is the cup? Is this a, what, what's he talking about? And if you haven't been tracking, Mark 10, we talked about the cup a while back. We talked about what this cup is, and in the Old Testament, the cup is a common picture of God's wrath. His extreme wrath. God's wrath. Isaiah 51, 7 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his 
wrath. We're on holy ground. Do you realize Jesus would come to the Father and get heaven? He'd come and, and, and pour out heaven. And at this moment, He's coming to the Father and He's getting wrath. The wrath of God is being poured out on Jesus. Tim Keller says it really well. It says, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he turns to the Father, and all he can see before him is wrath, the abyss, the chasm, the nothingness of the cup. Jesus began to experience the spiritual, cosmic, infinite disintegration that would happen when he became separated from his Father on the cross. Jesus began to experience merely a foretaste of that, and he stabbed. Do not think it was the nails. Do not think it was the whip. Do not think it was the spirit of the weight of, no, no, no. It was the perfect, sinless Son of God meeting the condemnation of the wrath of God. That's the difference between Socrates and, and the martyrs. They're looking at death in merely a physical pain of suffering. Jesus is looking at death and saw all of the sin of mankind pressing on them. All of God's anger and towards injustice, cruelty, violence, unfaithfulness, unholiness, cruelty, all of it. At this moment, he poured out. But notice it wasn't just. Notice it wasn't just God's wrath cup. It, you could say God's pain in this moment. But his closest disciples. Verse 37. Peter, what's Peter? Are you sleeping? Then he goes away again. Second time, comes back. Guess what? Sleeping. Verse 41, a third time. And notice Jesus prays a third time. He goes to the Father. Not like, not go, not go. He goes three different times. Three different times. Come back. What does that mean? He's sleeping. Imagine being in a room. Imagine you called up your friends, closest Peter, James, and Johns. Okay, you're in a room. Okay, with them. And you call them there because your heart is breaking. You're heavy. You've got you've got a lot going on. You're up to, I mean, it is heavy in this moment. You're you're you pouring out your heart to them. You could be, and then you, your head starts to bow, and you start crying, and you can't even lift up your head, and you pour it on your heart, you, you start wiping your tears away, and you sweat away from your head, and you raise up your head, and you notice all of them are sleeping. All of them. That is but a, that feeling that you would feel in this, it's just a small thing where Jesus was feeling. Complete, utter vanity, alone. You might be thinking, wow, 
turn, like Father. He's coming to the Father. He's coming to His loving Father. When we pray, we say, Dear Heavenly Father. Imagine, uh, imagine if someone uh, came up to you, and you're a child, and they come up to you with a cup, uh, a cup of little green liquid. It smells bad, looks bad. It says, child, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's going to taste rotten, but it's good. Now, um, it matters who's giving you that little green liquid. It matters a lot. If it's a stranger, back alley coming up, hey, 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 I got some little green liquid. You want to drink it? Run. Okay? Run. If it's uh, maybe someone coming up to you, does you want to somehow, I don't know, uh, interrogate you? And, I don't know. But if it's your father, if it's your father, they say, hey, hey, most of it tastes bad. Most is bad. Look, drink it. It's what you The response is what you It's your father. He knows what's best for you. You might not get it at the moment. Oh, I always needed to trade just that Tylenol, I still remember that cherry towel, whatever it was as a kid, it's just like ingrained in my new life. Give me some more juice after that. That's just terrible. Cherry flavor, terrible. But I know my mom and dad had my best interest in my head. It's the cup. It stays nasty, but it's for your good. And you have to understand that's what Jesus knew. He's like, okay, here's the cup, but I know you are God, you're a loving father. I know you know what's best for you, not mine, but yours. And Jesus knew his pain and suffering would not be wasted. And why? Because he said multiple times, all throughout the gospel of Mark, that redeemed sinners, um, uh, Mark 10, 45, the verse in Mark says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom of many. He was going to suffer to bring redemption to lost Humanity. He was going through his prayer. He knew that his suffering was not wasted. Listen, and this is true for you. Your suffering, your agony, your rock bottoms, they are never, ever in the hands of a Redeemer purposeless. Now I'm going to say it boldly. Do not waste your suffering. People pay attention when believers are in the hearts of suffering. They pay attention a little more. And pray your suffering. You just bored. You just... It sounds so elementary, it sounds like it is. It's so 
middle school, second grade, but are you doing to me? Come to me and say, well, like, when we were suffering, I, I, if you're in deep suffering right now, you're in deep agony, then you can really relate to this text. I would recommend you, you I mean, don't leave this moment, but, uh, you know, just go home and look up the song from Chain to Chain called Though You Slay. It's a song off of, off of Job, really, and though you slay me, yet I will praise you. Look it up. And look up the YouTube version, and, and then the YouTube version, and right in the middle of this song, though you slay me, John Piper says these words. He says, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain, from the fallen, from the fallen nature or from fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a particular glory you will get because of that. He says, I don't care if it's cancer or criticism, slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. And of course you can't see it in that moment. But don't look to what it's seen. Preach the truths until your hearts can seem with confidence that you are careful. And the lyric right after that says, Sing a song to the one who's all I need. <laughs> suffering. Listen. Suffering. When you hit suffering, and all you want to do is point the word of God, and you fall, and you say, Abba, Father, not my will, but yours, and you fall, and you come to Him, and you realize you realize he is a good heavenly father. He's working all of this. It's never meaningless. It's never wasted. He takes the suffering. He takes the pain. He takes the agony. And he has a way of orchestrating it to display the, the worth and the majesty of Jesus all the more in your life. But it starts with this idea humble prayer in the last. Notice again now, too. Jesus prays, the disciples don't. Jesus prays, the disciples don't. And notice uh, the, another response of Jesus in verse 42. So he prays. Okay, that's his number one response, and ours should be our response. But notice after he prays, verse 42, he says, rise, let's be going. My betrayer's at hand. Jesus doesn't stay down. He doesn't stay down. He prays. He, prays. he gets up. Verse 43 through 49, Judas comes with the crowd. And now this is new learning. There's like 600. There's like 600 um, men with swords and clubs. And, and Judas marks Jesus with kiss. Oh. And Jesus shows no resistance, unlike one of them. And the text, I love it. Uh, John's a little more detailed. John tells us it's Peter. Peter pulls out his sword, and he's terrible with the sword. I think, I mean, he just must be terrible, because he cuts the dude's ear off. Okay, I'm sure he's aiming for the head, and he goes, oh, I got the ear. What? Um, cuts his ear off. And notice again, the text is just right there. Jesus is calm. Here I am, here. 
But all the more, oh my goodness, he says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. And John's account on this is all the more profound because John, John says, um, in John 18, 8, again, it's amazing that we have these accounts of the same story. In John 18, 8, Jesus says, I told you that I am he. So again, they come with all these clubs and spears. He's calm. He's brave. He's ready. He's made people. Gone. So I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, so if you seek, listen, listen. He said, so if you seek me, let them go. Let these men go. I'm thinking, I read that this week and I was like, what, Jesus? They all just fell asleep on you. Verse 50, literally, of our text says, and they all left him and fled. And then you have, okay, you've been waiting for it all sermon, maybe. What's up with the naked dude at 51, 52? Now I just got everyone back. Do you want to know what I've, I don't really know. Here's my best guess. Some, this is Mark. Some think it's Mark. And he's in the linen cloth. And they come. And yeah, he, he runs naked. But this is what, this is why this is here. I think it's a literary device, again, showing you even this stranger completely abandoned Jesus. It's a highlight to bookend of saying. Jesus is utterly abandoned, and yet this is who Jesus says, okay, don't, don't take them. If I was Jesus, take these guys. Take them. I'm gone. I'll unleash it. No. He says, don't take them. See, it's right here where we get prayer strengthened Jesus for his ministry of substitution. Him instead of us. Disciples don't pray. Whacking people's ears off, running around naked, fearful, fleeing. Jesus praying, confident, moving forward. Listen, it's simple, elementary. You're going to choose a prayerless life, you'll be whacking people's ears off. You run around. Things happen. Uh, prayerful life, humble life, and this suffering. He's got it. But all the more, you have to see that what Jesus is doing here. It's a beautiful exchange. It's the heart of what's happening in Gethsemane. It's a beautiful exchange. And notice again that this is in a garden. In the first garden, I mean, notice there's two gardens. We have a garden in the Garden of Eden. Adam said to the Father in the Garden of Eden, Not your will, but mine be done. And all creation plunged into sin. In the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the second Adam, says, Not my will, but yours be done. And the redemption and salvation of all creation begins. Eden brought death. Gethsemane brings New life. Jesus' response in agony with willing obedience to be, to be what Romans 3.35 says. God put for 
us a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What's propitiation? Propitiation means a gift offering averting the wrath of God. Jesus, this is what it's saying. Jesus endured the garden. Jesus endured the condemnation. Jesus endured the wrath. Jesus is disgraced so you and I do not have to. I'm closing here. Charles Spurgeon said, when I look into Gethsemane, this is how I feel. And I could not think of a clearer way of how I feel. He says, oh, when I look into Gethsemane, he says, oh, how black I am, how filthy, how loathsome in the sight of God. I feel myself only fit to be cast into the lowest hell. And I wonder that God has not long ago cast me there. But I go into Gethsemane, and I peer under those olive trees, and I see my Savior. Yes, I see Him wallowing on the ground in anguish, and hear such groans come from Him as never came from a human breast before. I look upon the earth, and I see it red with blood, while His face is smeared with gory sweat. And I say to myself, my God, my Savior, what aileth thee? I hear him reply, I am suffering for thy sin. Then I take him. For why I would fain have spared my Lord such anguish. Now that anguish is over, I can understand how Jehovah can spare me. Because he smote his son in my stead. Jesus absorbs the condemnation. So you and I do not have to be Do you know one of our biggest landings? Our biggest fights, our biggest fights in, in Christianity, one of our biggest fights is simply belief in the gospel. It's simply just resting that this is true. His agony for you. His agony for you. And if you ever, if you ever doubt, or you're doubting now, the love of God, for you? Never doubt it. Look to the Son. Look to the One. Look to the One. Who that wrath, that cup, that press, all of that was upon you. And he said, I'll take it. That gift. Jesus says, Don't take me, take me. He says that this morning. And the response is, We come to him and say, I trust you. I trust you. I believe you. I believe you. His agony. Lord, thank you for this text. I pray that Father, you give us hope.
right now. Any, anyone that is in the midst of, yeah, they, they're in agony, they're accepted, they're in triumph. Uh, Lord Jesus, how can one to understand you sympathize with you? You, you feel that.
Well, receive this benediction. May the God of hope, God of hope, fill you with all joy, all joy and peace in the people, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Good peace. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com.